This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The first reading is taken from Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. Jesus said, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this, comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy. Firstly, I'll be reading the third commandment from Deuteronomy 5.11, uh, followed by a passage from Deuteronomy 12.29 to 13, verse 5. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. When the Lord your God has cut off before you the nations whom you are about to enter to dispossess them, when you have dispossessed them and live in their land, take care that you are not snared into imitating them. After they've been destroyed before you, do not inquire concerning their gods, saying, How did these nations worship their gods? I also want to do the same. You must not do the same for the Lord your God, because every abhorrent thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods. They would even burn their sons and their daughters in their fire to their gods. You must diligently observe everything that I command you. Do not add to it or take anything from it. If prophets or those who divine by dreams appear among you and promise you omens or portents, and the omens or the portents declared by them take place and they say, let us follow other gods whom you've not known and let us serve them. You must not heed the words of those prophets or those who divine by dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you indeed love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. The Lord your God you shall follow. Him alone you shall fear. His commandments you shall keep. His voice you shall obey. Him you shall serve. And to him you shall hold fast. But those prophets or those who divine by dreams shall be put to death for having spoken treason against the Lord your God who brought you out of it, the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to turn you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures, their precepts, promises, directions, and light. In them, may we learn of Christ, grasp his truth, and have grace to follow in his steps. Amen. Well, what's in a name? Of course, it's, it's Shakespeare who has Juliet ask this question as she contemplates the impossibility of her love for Romeo because he's got the wrong surname. What's his surname? Do you remember? The Montague, he's a Montague, right? 
So she asks, wherefore art thou Romeo? I used to always think that wherefore meant, you know, where are you, Romeo? But she means, of course, why are you called Romeo? Really, the problem, of course, is not that he's called Romeo as such, which is a perfectly nice name, but that he's a Romeo Montague, and Juliet is part of the Capulet family, and they're opposed in this terrible feud. Juliet who strangely appears to have studied postmodern literary theory at the University of Sydney in the 1990s, famously sighs, that, do you remember this? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. You could, apparently, she says, call a rose a pig. And you could call Romeo Kevin. And it would make no difference, Right? Change the name and you don't change the essence of the thing that you name. A name is an arbitrary thing. Now, I hope no one is offended by this, but I think Juliet is quite wrong. The name Romeo Montague identifies this particular young bloke. It tells you who he is and something about the story. It tells you who it is that she's fallen for. It places him in a particular set of relationships and it gives you his background. As I say, it identifies him. That he is Romeo Montague says everything we need to know about him and why their love is impossible and yet irresistible because of the feud between their families. No name, no Romeo. But enough of Romeo and his name because today we're going to talk about God and his name. And there is a lot in his name. There is a lot in his name. There is so much that the third commandment says this. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. You might remember this command from the older translation, which used to say, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is that commandment. Don't make wrongful use of the Lord your God. There must be something in God's name. For just as he is jealous for our worship, the Lord God is protective of his name. Just as we cannot pretend to worship him by calling him a name he has not given us, a name we've decided we'd like to call him by, Baal or Moloch or Apollo or Buddha or whatever we'd like, so we are commanded not to misuse his name. Now, we'll have to look at what it is to to misuse his name a little bit later. But first I want to ask, why is it that God protects his name so fiercely? Why does it matter so much? Why is he so fierce? The reason is that God's name, and in particular the special name that he's given to call for his people, that he's identified himself to his people by, the name Yahweh, is his identity. It is who he is. His name is the name by which he is truly known by his people. You might remember when Moses encountered the burning bush and God spoke to him, the Lord spoke to him out of the burning bush and said, I will call, you know, I'm the God of your ancestors. I'm going to call the people out of slavery. And Moses very brightly said, well, who are you? You know, what what name shall I say? And God said his special name. He said the name Yahweh at that time, the name I am, or translated sometimes I am who I am, or I will be I, who I will be. God revealed his name because he would be in special relationship with his people. 
There's a few aspects to this, this special name. Uh, three I've got here. The first is that the, the, it names the Lord's freedom. It names his acts and it reminds us of his kingly presence. So the Lord's name safeguards his freedom to be who he will be, which is the very meaning of his name. God is who he is. The Lord is who he is. And he is known not by any name, but by the names which he gives us. Not by, not by our choice, but by his. And the Lord swears by his own name, since there is no higher name. His name is the guarantee of the truth of his word and his faithfulness to his promises. God puts his name on it. It safeguards his freedom to be who he will be. Secondly, the Lord's name recalls the mighty and gracious acts that only he has done. They are ascribed to no one else. They belong to no one else. He starts the commandments, you remember, by declaring his name. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Have no other gods before me. Only he created the universe and all its creatures. Only he saves his people. That story belongs only to this name. And that is the truth of his name, the identity of this one. Thirdly, the Lord's name is his kingly presence living amongst his people. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people that the Lord will choose a place in their midst as a dwelling for his name. He lives in his name. He is present by his name. And this is where Israel were to come to worship God because this is where God said that he would be. And this place in time became the temple in Jerusalem. God has his kingly presence in his name. So God protects his name. And the people need to revere and treasure and protect his name because his name is their very lifeblood. That name is not only, it turns out, the Lord's identity, but it is theirs as well. Without this name, they are not who they are. They are not Israel. They have the precious treasure of knowing the Lord's true name. They know him intimately, personally. He has promised himself to them. How could they desecrate that relationship by trashing the name? By misusing the name. It would be an act of not only disrespect to God, but an act of self-sabotage, since they belong, they have who they are by this name. Now, this applies to us Christians too, but we'll see how that works in a minute. First of all, I want to ask, what is it to make wrongful use of the name? You may have been taught, as uh, I was, that this is really a commandment against the use of God's name or Jesus' name as a swear word, saying, for instance, oh my God, or Jesus H. Christ, when you hit your thumb with a hammer, for example, or when you're shocked, you know how people do. Now, I do not do this. I, I do not swear, and I don't think we should swear in this way, out of obedience to this very command. It's pretty weird, don't you think, that doing this is such a deeply ingrained virus, a meme in the English language, even with complete atheists. Have you noticed? Even though we're supposedly secular, people still swear by God or by Jesus. 
frankly, Christians shouldn't do it because the divine name is precious. Because this is to treat what we think is divine and holy as unholy. And atheists shouldn't do it because it's taking something precious to others and demeaning it. And it doesn't make any sense, it seems to me, if you're an atheist, to swear by something you actually don't believe in. I don't know why they don't just say, Richard Dawkins. They can do that. That's my invitation. But this is not directly what this commandment is addressing. Scholars, it's covered by it, but I don't think directly addressed by it. Scholars tell us that the primary target here is the use of the Lord's name in magic or sorcery. In the ancient Near East, the name of a person or a deity was felt to, thought to contain a power that you could wield against an enemy by using it for curses and spells. We actually see this in operation or an attempt to do this in the story of Balaam in the book of Numbers. It's a complicated story. Let's just say it involves a talking donkey. So you can look it up in the book of Numbers. It's a really interesting story. But the, 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 the short of it is that Balaam wanted to use the Lord's name to magically curse the people of Israel. Now, worshippers of the Lord shouldn't dabble in the occult and certainly should not associate his name with magic or the making of spells. But there's a wider principle that applies way beyond magic, and it's this. It applies, I think, to us, and certainly Israel took it as such. The name of the Lord is not at our disposal or to be used as a power for us to command. Literally, the command says, you shall not hold the name of the Lord up to emptiness or falsehood. And there's any number of temptations for us to do this. The people of Israel, in the book of Samuel, the book of the first book of Samuel, they took the Ark of the Covenant uh, and they used it as a talisman in battle. This was an attempt to have God as their, as their figurehead to get God to do what they wanted to do. This was an example, I think, of a misuse, a bad misuse of the presence of God, of the name of God in their midst. I think for, uh, for us too, we're not to swear falsely by the name of the Lord. We must not bear false witness against our neighbour. That's what the Eighth Commandment says. But to attach the holy name to an oath that is false is particularly evil. We're inviting, not only saying something untrue in the midst of other people being dishonest, but we're attaching the judgment of God to what we're saying. And when we do this falsely, we're basically saying that he doesn't exist for us, that his judgment is empty. When we teach false things about the Lord, we desecrate his name. The false preacher who declares untrue things about God or declares things that are untrue but spoken in God's name wrongly uses the name of God. To use the name of God as a pretext for abuse of children, spouses or congregations, to coercively control people, for prejudice as a pretext for racism or injustice or misogyny or worse. These are deeply wrongful uses of the name. To bear the cross as a talisman in battle, to use the cross as a symbol of white supremacy, to weaponize God for your political agenda, left or right, to cover up child abuse in the church because you want to protect the reputation of the church, 
These demean and diminish the honour of the Lord's name. But also, this command covers the hypocrisy of claiming the name of the Lord and yet living in such a way that his name is dishonoured. This is what the prophets complained when they saw in Israel. In fact, it's an extraordinarily strong theme in the Bible. If you want to read a book which is really strong, strongly against religious hypocrisy, the Bible's the one. The prophets complained long and, long and hard about what they saw in Israel. As the Lord says to, to Isaiah, just to pick one example, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. Oh, they say that they represent truly and honor wonderfully the name of the Lord, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. They prove the things they say about the Lord are hollow and empty by their corrupt, greedy and immoral behaviour. These are what it is to break this third commandment. Now what we've heard might terrify us. For who then is worthy to bear the name of the Lord? Who could say, I have always honoured this name? I have never misused this name. You might recall from a couple of weeks ago, I said that the commandments are a bit like a mirror and also like a lamp for us. But they're like a mirror. They give us a good look in the mirror. They hold up a mirror to our souls. And here, this, this command, when we read it thoroughly and rightly, I think it provides a pretty searing look at our souls. Who could say that they have not broken this law? But there's more to the story of the name of the Lord in the Bible. We get hints of this in the prophets again. They're not just hoeing into Israel because of the misuse of the name of God. They're also offering us a, a reminder that the Lord's name is the saving name. The prophet Joel says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance as the Lord has promised. And this very prophecy is picked up in the New Testament and it's applied to Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Just as we are not to have images of God, but Jesus is the image of the invisible God, so though we are not to misuse the, misuse the name of the Lord, Jesus truly and wonderfully bears that name. And with Jesus, the Lord gives us another way to say his name. Jesus Christ, the Lord. The Lord shares his holy name with Jesus, the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. There is, as the Apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 4, no other name than Jesus under heaven by which human beings may be saved. And it's the Holy Spirit who is poured into our hearts, who teaches us to declare, believe in our hearts and declare with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the Lord's name then, we discover his power and his grace and his promise to save us. That name is our salvation because the bearer of that name has died for our sins and risen to new life. And so that is the gospel itself. 
that we call on the name of the Lord our God to deliver us. That is God's sure promise. That we call on this name. We receive his grace and mercy, his peace and his hope, his forgiveness of our sins. We are baptised too into the name. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Which means we get, as one of my friends says, a kind of spiritual tattoo. If you think about that, it's an invisible tattoo, but it is. It's a branding to be baptized, is to be, 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 be given a name, to be helped, brought into that name, to now bear that name. God gives us his wonderful name because in Jesus we are his. So... This third commandment, fierce though it is, though it holds a mirror up to us, turns out also to be an invitation to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. If we're not to misrepresent the name, then we're also called to truly represent the name, to make if we don't make to, to not make wrongful use of the name, but also to make rightful use use of his name, the name that we bear, to speak truly in that name. Now, I have three ways in which we can begin to fulfill this commandment, to honour the name, to say, firstly say the name, to secondly share the name, and thirdly live by the name. So firstly, the, the third commandment invites us to change the way we speak of the Lord in our prayers and conversations. It's not wrong to say, and I've said in this sermon, to call God, God. But, but the word God is a generic word without much content in it. It's a bit like calling Tim Escott man. I mean, it's true, but it doesn't tell you a lot about it. It doesn't specify. It's not personal. But the words that we are invited to use as we speak to our Lord, the Lord, our God, my God, the Father, the Father of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. These are specific ways of saying the name of the Lord, calling upon the name of the Lord that he gives to us. They can begin our prayers so that as we pray, we know it is to whom we pray. They begin our praises so that as we begin to praise, we know we're not praising some blank, faceless force in the sky but the particular God, the God who brought us out of darkness into his marvellous light, the God who gives us his hope and his peace, the God who we call Father. As we begin our prayers, we pray now, as Jesus teaches us, our Father who art in heaven, who's in heaven. Do you remember that phrase, the, the, the most interesting phrase of the lot, the kind of one that stands out? We hallow his name. So we, we are called on to hallow his name. And that's what the next two things it is that we are to do with his name. We're to share his name and live by his name. When we speak his name, we invite others to know that name, to know it too. We tell of God's great and marvellous deeds. We declare what Jesus has done. We declare what he has done for us. We praise him for his kindness. We declare the truth about him so that others may know him by this name. We do this week by week as we gather together to sing God's praises, the praises 
But we also do this as we speak his name outside, as we speak his name in other contexts to other people. And the, the, third, con, the third commandment asks us, are we living up to the name? The, sorry, the third point I'm going to make asks us, are we also living to honour the name? Is this something that we say but do not live according to? Or is this something where our words and our actions, our, our manner of life actually match? Are you living to honour the name of the Lord? Do you praise him not only with your lips but also in your life? Do you bear the name in such a way as people see you and glorify God? You know, sometimes we Christians can be a little like a spouse who slips their wedding ring off when they go on a business trip. You know, because they want to sort of get away from the identity that they have and do something else and not be caught out. We too are afraid sometimes that if we bear the name, if people know that we bear the name and we behave like we want to behave, that people will call us hypocrites and will be shamed. But this is not just the name that commands us to a different kind of life. It is by this name that we are saved. This name is not to be concealed or hidden. It's to be rejoiced in and honoured. And it's not by being sinlessly perfect that we honour the name. It's by our pattern of life that is oriented towards repentance and forgiveness that we honour the name. As we declare Jesus, our Saviour, the one in whom we hope. So then, say the name, share the name, live by the name. And by this, we will, by the power of God's Spirit, fulfil this third commandment. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.